0: Welcome to Young Discourse, a mind-stimulating podcast for kids by kids and adults too, three siblings being siblings. Hang out with Maya. I have a severe procrastination problem, but I swear I can stop. A few moments later. Starting tomorrow. Ben. You already know, bro. Flex until they know this, man. Isaiah. Uh uh. Just do it! Life is too short for burnt rice. What? This is Young Discourse for kids by kids. Happening right now. Two, three, four. Hi everyone, you're listening to Young Discourse. Welcome back. I'm Isaiah. And for today's episode, it's just going to be me. Um, I feel a little bit crazy talking to myself and rambling on, but that's fine. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about like a whole variety of things because for today's episode, I kind of wanted to discuss, well, with myself, um, a bunch of these assignments that my English teacher actually assigns like every like once a week or maybe twice a week. And they're called personal responses. And my English teacher, he's an awesome dude. Like, he's crazy uh, good at teaching. And I just love him. But um, these personal responses that he writes or that he comes up with are, like, these prompts with, like... I mean, the questions themselves are, like, super long. Sometimes longer than my actual response. And, he, I mean, they get pretty philosophical. Which is why I really like them. And then I find them really interesting. And, honestly, they're, like... The assignment that I look forward to doing the most in my English class, so that's good. Um, You know, he assigns these, and I just... Over the year, I've accumulated, like, a bunch of these paragraphs over random information. And most of them are philosophical and, you know, kind of like my outlook. I feel like they kind of accurately... Or not accurately, but I don't know. Just I'm still developing my perspective on life, I guess. (laughs) I'm just a kid, like, but... I think that they kind of uh, they kind of document my thoughts, cause since they've um, been assigned over the course of my senior year of high school, and they're over like kind of like you know big picture issues, I guess. So, um, I kind of just haven't read really or overlooked any of them, cause I kind of wanted this to be more candid and genuine. But, um, I do have a few failed takes of this episode beforehand. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. But I guess we'll start out with the first one. Um, This one is called Resistance. So I'm going to skip over a couple of the questions because they're about stuff that doesn't really pertain to the um, actual episode and they're kind of like contextual stuff for the class. Um, So here we go. What you are to do in this personal response is to register and discuss the acts of resistance against oppression that you enact this could be something like listening to rebellious musical groups to rallying for action against climate change or or wearing rebellious clothing what do these acts of resistance mean to you do you think they have any efficacious effects in the real world would you do them even if you knew that they were just acts without impact Is there something to be said for meaningless acts of rebellion? How do you feel about this? So I guess I can read my response. Um, I'm not sure how clear it is because I was just writing it in the moment. Um, And I guess I can just elaborate on how I'm feeling about it right now. So I am conflicted when it comes to the topic of rebelling, speaking out, or resisting against matters that I am morally opposed to. I feel like there is too weak of a distinction to be drawn between being hypocritically self-righteous and the other side being guilty of indifference to causes that not only actually matter in the real world and affect your life, but affect others' lives too. The only solid truth I perceive is that obviously there are so many things to rebel against. Far too many for one person to fight for, or perhaps even the entire world to address effectively. Climate change, the violations of human rights issues, local or regional issues, political policy—there are way too many things for one person to work against. And the attitude that I feel like some people have taken on in recent times is one that is a little bit self-righteous in the fact that they hold others to a standard that isn't, uh, you know, realistic. Um, oftentimes, like. I see these people who, uh, you know, they fight so hard for a cause that they believe in. And I just think that they are doing such an amazing thing. And I, obviously, I support them. But when, but when it comes to other people in that cause who hold others to a standard and they judge people for not being or for not really caring about the cause so if some for example if someone doesn't care about climate change um, can you judge them as a person based on that probably maybe yes I'm not sure I'm I don't know um, the other side of this is that like I have this inner debate with myself you know there's this dark truth that I'm not doing that much to support causes that I morally agree with. I mean, I still drive my car to school and pollute the air, even though I think I care a lot about the environment. Does that make me guilty of not caring or of being a hypocrite? I do what is easy to support the environment, like recycling or never littering or trying to spread awareness. But is that reasonable enough for someone in my situation? Like Greta Thunberg is out there. She's around my age, I think. And she's, uh, you know, an environmental icon. I mean, she's probably done so much for the environment. And I ask myself these questions, and I explore and observe people who are actually trying and making their fullest efforts to make a difference. Even an internationally recognized environmental activist has to take a plane or at least a boat to transport themselves, right? You can't be perfect. Like, you, you just... I think the, 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 I'm not sure if there's a Goldilocks area in this, in this, uh, in this conflict, but I think that if, if you're trying to, you know, be the best self of yourself, a uh, best version of yourself, like you can, you can, you know, put your efforts towards supporting a cause. Like if you, you know, want to reduce, uh, racial discrimination in America or, um, you can do that but I think it's a uh, difficult or it's um you shouldn't you should be careful about judging people who don't hold the same perspective as you or who may not be able to support the cause because they're just that's just not who they are I'm not sure like not everyone has the opportunity to work for uh against racial discrimination and is it everyone's responsibility to work against it? Who knows? Like, what is a, your responsibility as a person? There are people out there who obviously are fulfilling their responsibility, um, and they're doing great. Like, like my earlier example, Greta Thunberg. But are you a bad person if you're not Greta Thunberg? Are you? Because you know, most people are aware of the impending doom of climate change, but not everyone including me i'm not doing i'm not actively working against it so i don't know i just feel like i stand in this gray area of you know resistance that i am holding these virtues that i am not fully encompassing myself with um that was really deep but i guess we can move on to the next one uh i really liked writing that one because it just made me think a lot about my own morals i guess (laughs) okay so ooh, this one has a poem okay so this one is called love's extremes this personal response is about love i guess um it has a quote by shakespeare um i'm not sure if i can read it but i'm going to read it just in case and if i can't then the editor will cut this out (laughs) So the quote by Shakespeare reads A lover's eyes will gaze an eagle blind A lover's ear will hear the lowest sound When the suspicious head of theft is stopped Love's feeling is more soft and sensible than are the tender horns of cockled snails And when love speaks The voice of all the gods Make heaven drowsy with the harmony That's very hard to interpret for me Actually, it's not, I mean I don't know. Um, so, the questions. The above quote from William Shakespeare about love really gives an aspirational viewpoint about love. In this case, romantic love, yet, as we all know, love comes in many forms and degrees, including eros, agape, platonic love, and mother love, which are um, can also be directed towards murderous ends, even. All these types of love begs the question of all of us. How far would we go to secure the loved ones in our lives? Would one be willing to give up one's friends, one's reputation, one's income, one's security, in order to secure romantic love? Moreover, love can lead to the ultimate self-sacrifice, the giving of one's life for one's friends. The band of brothers found in military units are often closer than the relationships between husbands and wives, and sometimes even involve self-sacrifice on the battlefield mother love can even be murderous willing to kill in order to save from harm which leads us to the question to be posed today what would you do for love would you be willing to uproot yourself compromise your values betray your friends even do physical harm to protect your beloved describe how far you would go in the name of love so do you see what I'm saying about these personal responses they're great because you know they just they really just dig deep and they make you question yourself in ways that like they make you question you know these topics that I would never even like ask about myself and they you know I really discover like my own perspectives in these personal responses so so for this one it's a little bit short Shorter, But what I wrote is that perhaps it should not require much effort at all to secure love. The question may be addressed. Should any love which requires one to sacrifice so much be worth committing to? The old Greek myth of Orpheus and Euris OK, I'm going to be back. I'm going to go search up the pronunciation of this name. Hold on. <laughs> OK, I'm back. I got it. So, the old Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice came to mind when I read this prompt. Orpheus was so in love with Eurydice, he ventured into Hades to bring her back, and he loved her so much that in the end, it was all for nothing. He couldn't control himself. So, if you're not familiar with the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, um, it's off the top of my mind. I think I can give a summary. Um, Basically, Orpheus and Eurydice were a couple on earth and they loved each other so much um tragically eurydice dies to something i forgot and or orpheus loves her so much and he's in so much pain on earth that he'll he ventured into hell to bring her back and he pled with hades for anything he could do to bring back her soul and hades he said that he can He can hold, he can drag back Eurydice to the overworld. Um, Given that Orpheus holds her hand while she's behind her, but never looks at her. Never looks back at the loved one that he's trying to bring back. And he agrees to this. I mean, obviously, he can bring her back. All he has to do is hold her hand and never look at her. And she's just uh, walking behind him. Holding his hand. Um, But just as they're about to... And, you know, they travel through Hades. All the way through the underground crypts. I'm not sure what it looks like. But they go back to the surface. And just as about... Just about as they are, uh, you know, about to go back right to the the overworld. um, Orpheus can't contain himself anymore. And he looks back. And, you know, it's a tragedy because he looked back at Eurydice and he broke the deal. And so he was so close to being re- reunited with his love, but he couldn't do it because he loved her so much that he had to get one glance at her because he couldn't control himself. Um, It's a sign of an unhealthy relationship. It's, it's very intense. We learned about that in school, actually. They taught us about unhealthy relationships and one of the signs is that it was intensity like it's I i don't know i i'm not i'm not very well versed in the in the realm of relationships but i guess intensity isn't good like you know it's if it's just so passionate it's like unhealthy um i don't think i believe in soulmates i think you can have a genuine and romantic relationship with many different people And the person that you end up with isn't really your destined soulmate, but a result of the situation and the circumstances that you were born in. That doesn't make your love any less worthy or special or destined. I just think that the mindset of destined lovers is inhibiting people's perspectives of their own lives. Orpheus could have honored Eurydice's memory while still finding another romantic relationship so that he could have had a happier life. Like... It's. I mean, there are plenty of fish in the sea. Like you, you. There's not just one person that you're born with, that you're born for, in this earth. Like, in my opinion, um. It just your your relationship that or or whoever you end up with is just. Like. Just a, just someone that you guys found each other through. I guess circumstance, right? and it's not that doesn't mean that like you're not you're, you're you're not compatible or that like that you're not not with your frick your soulmate or whatever but i just think that if you inhibit yourself by having this mindset that like oh i have to find my soulmate and he's the only one for me right or she he or she or they or whoever is the only person that i can be with this in, with in this world um, it's just I feel like you could be happier without that mindset because then you can just see the bigger picture I guess um, also that point about how it should not maybe it should not require much effort at all to secure love well what I'm talking about is romantic love here so like if your love is requiring you to do so much um, to go to the extremes it goes back to the point where if they're not your soulmate because there are no soulmates should you really be going to this extreme when you could just be having an easier life or a happier life with someone else um yeah (laughs) that's uh, it's a lot to unpack honestly I'm thinking I'm just like I'm getting kind of overwhelmed by all my thoughts in my head right now um I'm not sure if I even answered the question fully he asked uh in the prompt what would you do for love what would would you be willing to uproot yourself compromise your values betray your friends even do physical harm to protect um if it's my family that I love I would I would think I would think I would do physical harm to protect my family um betraying my friends if my friends are the ones that are trying to uh, you know damage my family then they're the ones who've already betrayed me but if they are you know if somehow betraying them with them still being innocent is a, is a way to protect my family. I guess it's very situational. It depends on like the damage that there is being done. Um, I think that self-sacrifice, it's, it's a, it's a heroic, you know, it's a, self-sacrifice in the name of love is uh it's very heroic uh you know idea and i think the actual actually the next personal response talks a little bit about something like this so um i'm gonna leave it there i guess we can move on to the next one so this one is called inauthenticity Authenticity is a concept of personality in the fields of psychology, existential psychotherapy, existentialist philosophy, and aesthetics. Okay, so I guess it's in the beginning, it's defining what authenticity is. In existentialism, authenticity is the degree to which a person's actions are congruent with his or her values and desires. Despite external pressures to social conformity. The conscious self comes to terms with the condition of geworfenheit, of having been thrown into an absurd world without values and without meaning, not of his or her own making, thereby encountering external forces and influences different from and other than the self. In human relations, a person's lack of authenticity is considered bad faith in dealing with other people and with oneself. Thus, authenticity is in the instruction of the Oracle of Delphi, know thyself. Um, as you guys probably know, uh, I lived in Germany for a while, so I actually kind of know uh, what Geworfenheit means. But, I mean, it's just the state of being thrown. And I guess what it's talking about is, you know, you're being thrown into, forcefully thrown into a world where your values don't exist or don't matter, maybe, right? They don't really exist. They don't mean anything, which is partially true in the real world. So, in the in this, uh, the question here is this. So, for this personal reflection, if you could describe a time when you acted or experienced a moment of bad faith, it could, be as something, it could be something as simple as conforming with a group of friends in the bullying of a smaller boy on the playground, or it could be something as large as planning on majoring in a field in order to please one's parents. This is a common endeavor in many families. How did, how did it feel to have some distance between what you were doing and what you truly desired? Did you feel the deleterious effect of not being true to yourself? What were the consequences? I believe I wasn't completely my authentic self. I often remark to my friends or anyone with whom the topic arises that I felt like a completely different person when Europe was my home. If I met the Isaiah living in Germany today, he might be a stranger to me. It feels like someone else went for me and then retold everything that happened to me after it was over. I think this feeling that I have is the result of me not only being inauthentic to other people, but to myself at the time. It was such a dramatic transition that what I truly desired wasn't prioritized as much as other things. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Me in the past. Um, I to, to this day, I feel like I didn't appreciate um, the opportunity and I wasn't authentic enough with myself uh, um, given the opportunity to live in Germany. I guess it it stemmed from the fact that, uh, you know, I had a lot of inhibitions socially um, and, you know, the desire to conform in society and just be normal and just be accepted was really strong, right? And as someone coming from a different world, um, from California, in the USA to Germany, it's like, it's, it's wildly, it's just a wild transition to the point where, I was kind of not myself and I was definitely um not taking advantage of the social you know the social opportunities given to me. Like I in Germany at my at the school I would just uh during lunch I would eat my lunch um in the, with a group of friends, I guess, but I wouldn't really say anything. I would just kind of eat my lunch, leave and go to the library and I would watch videos on my laptop by myself. <laughs> And that was kind of like the first couple months of my my life in Germany. Um, it was a lot of just hanging out by myself, and you know, and my friends were the people that I met in Germany were super friendly, and I could have I was I was accepted very well, and it, it was a it was just yeah I have nothing bad to say about you know the situation the social situation in Germany because people there are very friendly and very accepting, but. It was me that I was kind of like uh, being withdrawn um, to just I guess my own thoughts right and I would just watch League of Legends videos in the library (laughs) and (laughs) I don't know Um, I did open up later though I definitely opened up and um, I'm glad that I had the chance to you know instead of watching videos maybe I was I would play basketball in the courtyard with my friends and everyone else instead of being by myself. Um, But I think um, part of the reason why I feel like a different person went to Germany is that after I left Germany, I was really sad that I, I, you know, I left it because I left a whole different life back there. Um, And I guess I was also caught up in a lot of other things that were happening here. Um, And so it felt like I wasn't um it wasn't me that that went there um so yeah i guess that's the that was the effect of the inauthenticity that i felt uh with myself yeah (laughs) so that, that was that one okay so this one is called contradictions but i think it's very similar to the one that i first read in resistance um i don't think i'm gonna okay actually no, i'm gonna read the personal response only the end of it so do you have any parts of your personality that partakes of two contradictory sides or aspects are you part scholar part anti-intellectual athlete Do you endorse freedom in your personal life while endorsing an authoritarian view politically? Or do you embrace freedom politically but are strict and conservative in your own personal views? Parents are often guilty of being too excited, opening themselves to the charge of hypocrisy. Do you have this tendency somewhat inside yourself? Write about a paradox or contradiction in your life. Okay, so I guess this is something I've been thinking about a lot because... I wrote about the same thing, um, if you remember, the first personal response was about resistance, and it was about my moral perspective. So one contradiction in my life is my moral perspective. I think that people should generally be honest, accountable, and aware of their own actions. However, when it comes to my own judgment of people and even my own actions, I take the liberty of molding what is right or wrong and what is reality in order to reduce conflict or otherwise take the easy route. For example, my moral compass tells me to detest people who litter. Throwing trash on the ground without thought of the extensive damage and effect it has is irresponsible and just bad behavior. It should be picked up. But when I see trash lying on the ground or on the street or on the school campus, I don't stop to pick it up. There's just so much. Like I just see rappers like, near the school entrance because like, there's sometimes vendors that come out near the school entrance and people buy stuff from them and there's just a whole heap of like plastic and stuff right outside of the school and um, given my moral, my moral obligations it's my responsibility to pick it up because obviously I'm opposed to littering but I don't, I don't pick it up I just walk straight to my car and I think it's it's good that I'm aware of it but maybe it's not good that I don't pick it up is it my responsibility to pick it up? I think someone else, like a school cleaner, might pick it up. But then again, who knows, right? Um, I think it might be bad and and might make a blameful remark to other people. But in reality, the morally right thing to do is to pick it up and actively speak up against such disregard. Once I saw a close friend blatantly litter right in front of me. I didn't say anything and acted as if I didn't see it. We both ignored it and moved on with our day. So this is kind of a dilemma that I have that I keep bringing up. Yeah, I just... It's very difficult to... To, you know... Discover where I I want to stand on, you know on the on the spectrum of being the person that will like yell at somebody and scream at somebody and then pick it up themselves um, or scream at the person who dropped it and make them pick it up or just pick it up themselves you know that's one side and there's also the side that doesn't care doesn't see and just is completely indifferent and I lie in the middle right because I see it and I care about it, but I don't do I don't do anything most of the time. If I see a piece of trash on the ground and I'm near a trash can, and like I'll definitely pick it up. But um, if it's like a lot of pieces of trash, and it, you know, it really depends on the social setting. If I'm by myself or whatever, because you know, obviously, I'm a flawed person who cares about other people's opinions. Um, and I also have the you know, the cognitive bias that I c- I will like <laughs> I will like you know just mold what I perceived as like as bad, and I will mold reality to like you know you know excuse someone if I like really like a person and they and they litter I'll be like well <laughs> you know it doesn't and you know it's partly true that it doesn't. Uh, uh, you know if if someone lives it doesn't like it's not represent- you can't judge them based off of one thing that they did once you know people aren't their worst mistakes I think that's a quote from Black Widow right Um, you know you can't judge someone off their worst mistakes you really can't and that's uh, you know something that I'm opposed to like some people lately um, there's a modern culture that just that seeks out perfection in people like like if you want to have some position at all like a job or a political office right if you, if they if you find any dirt on someone like it's just there it's over even if it's like they said a bad word once right and i just don't think you can i don't think you can hold everyone to that standard obviously there's a line obviously if they did something bad then obviously like get them out but I think the line right, right now it's, it's a little bit volatile you know it's not very solid and that's fine because there's a lot of people with different perspectives and you know the line depends on who is drawing it okay <laughs> I think we can move on to something a little less philosophical um, This one is called language, so the personal response is language. Do you find that language and by implication rules are often used to limit your scope of action and thus inhibit your lives? In English class, we discuss and, we discuss and study artifacts of culture that are embedded in language. Do you believe that there is something liberatory in the study of language? In other words, can language, discourse, communication set you free? Or do non-verbal modes of communication, gesture, touch, smiles, better imply feelings and thus liberty? Meditate on the role of language in your life. How important is it? Um, There's definitely something liberatory in the study of language. It's absolutely a possible outlet for people to limit other scopes of action and inhibit their lives. Because language is intrinsically woven into the fabric of humanity, you know, without being able to communicate how should one be able to navigate society effectively. In the study of language, one is liberated from the hindrance of ineffective communication with other human beings. You know, it's just, it's like such an effective tool. And effective communication is like such a great asset like, in your jobs and, like, you know, relationship-wise, communication is just such an amazing thing, and it's also something that this entire podcast is based on, like, I'm speaking to you guys right now in English, right, like, <laughs> without language, this podcast doesn't exist, and I think um there's very, there's a lot that is powerful with discourse, which is kind of why I, we named this podcast Young Discourse, because discourse is empowering right and so young discourse you can with young discourse you can empower you know young voices and young minds um, so communication definitely sets people free and this also can be used the other way it's a double-edged blade in the fact that language can also manipulate people in often and sometimes not the best ways right So, the next one is called Nature. And there's a lot of these. Like, these personal responses I've been, like, assigned since the beginning of the year. So, I have a lot. But I'll only read a couple more, just for time's sake. Um, This one is called Nature. Do you have a deep affection for nature, indulging in its enjoyment whenever you can? Or are you a dyed-in-the-wool city person, a creature of shopping malls and urban sprawl? What do you gain or love about the times you encounter nature? Do you love the fresh air, the sight of wildflowers or untamed beasts like deer and mountain lions? What was the greatest moment you had in the wild? Recount this moment as well as your attitudes towards the natural world in a half-page entry of your own making. Okay. There's also a Native American proverb um, above that says, We don't inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children wow that's great I love that that's like (laughs) yeah I mean the future generation is the future of the world so here we go I have mixed feelings about nature I love its beauty its calming atmosphere and I generally enjoy things that you can do in nature like hiking or sometimes kayaking or whatever other activities I really like snowboarding Um, at the same time I am undoubtedly somebody who grew up dependent on technology, as dystopian as it sounds. If I am deep in nature for too long, I go restless and feel the urge to sit at my desk at home and just lose hours playing video games. But paradoxically, in today's society, humans can't enjoy nature without maintaining a connection to technology almost constantly. Every time there's a, like a beautiful view, everybody's phones are out to take pictures. Even to get to nature, you need to take a car. Or, I mean, for me, um, and for a lot of people, you know, even in snowboarding, a ski lift takes people up to the snowy mountain. And it's rather hypocritical for me to say I like nature when I consistently use the very things destroying it to enjoy it. Um, One of my favorite pieces of nature is my own backyard. Although it's overgrown and very low maintained, it's full of nature because of it like birds and worms and flowers bushes grass trees and I'm you know I'm privileged and I, I'm appreciative of the fact that I have a very large and beautiful backyard and personally I often regret not spending more time in it um, yeah that's it's something that I'm definitely gonna miss when I go back when I go to college I just, I, I really, I really love my backyard because it's just, it's very natural in the fact that, you know, it's not like cultivated very much. And it's got like natural trees, I guess. Um, but yeah, nature is just, I like it in small doses and in moderation, I guess, as everything should be. Um, and there's There's people who really love it and that's great because be loving nature is just you know there's it's i can i can honestly think of very few things that are better than to love than nature maybe like philanthrop or like helping other people or something i don't know <laughs> but yeah i guess that was that one um that was nature oh this next one is going back to the philosophical side of my viewpoints. So. What has. So this one is called. Point of view. What has been your experience. With this phenomenon. Of disputed definitions of reality. Do you believe that there is an element of reality. Where various versions of the truth. Coincide with each other. Like bookends on a library shelf. Or do you believe that knowledge is. Dialectical. With an initial assertion of the truth followed by its antithesis which together form a new higher truth better than the original pair of opposites which existed beforehand or do you believe the traditional belief that there is only one truth and that therefore falsehoods are nefariously being spread all the time a true devil's playground of false knowledge describe your position on this issue of point of view is it real okay I do believe that there is an element of reality where various versions of the truth coincide with each other because there is no effective means to determine what is reality anyway. People with wildly different perspectives than me may seem misguided and crazy to me from the reality that I perceive and live in, but from theirs that they live in, they're reasonable and I'm the wild one this idea stems from the fact that i think we all live in our own realities because we see we're, we live we see stuff that other people won't see right and we interpret it differently and our worlds definitely overlap obviously i mean we all live in the same world but we may not all live in the same reality i'm not sure i don't know if you, you get what i'm saying here like <laughs> Reality is um, what we see and it's not what another person sees because we've seen it and ours is the only one that is valid, right? Because even if... So let's say, okay, the best grasp of reality that I can comprehend or at least reality under the definition as the actual truth is what I perceive from it from using the sensory stimuli that I get from my body and interpret in my brain this truth that I understand from these stimuli may not even be close to reality but it is my reality since I see it that way this is my point of view and who is to say mine or anyone else's is more valid than each other's we live in different realities I, it's hard to explain for me because I don't want to sound like I'm verifying people who are maybe using their own reality to justify doing bad things, but in that case, their reality that they live in from, for example, if you are to say like Thanos, I think Thanos lives in a different reality than the Avengers. Because the Avengers' reality is that they is that they're superheroes and they have to protect the world because the world is good. They haven't seen what Thanos has seen, and from Thanos's reality of the things that he's seen and the the reality that he's constructed from and established from his own experiences, is different from Iron Man's and the Avengers because. They have seen different things and interpreted it their own way, right? And so what's real to Iron Man isn't real to Thanos, even though there is a true reality. And they will be spinning it their own ways, but their way is real in what they believe, right? Um. So Thanos, he thought that the best solution was to wipe out half of the universe right so is his solution um his solution is the most valid in reality because in his reality right but iron man's solution of just letting it be the way it is right now is the best uh you know perspective in his reality so the issue of point of view is that everyone has their own and although there is a real there is a reality um everyone makes their own because there's no way to get the real one and on that note i think i'm gonna end the episode um thank you so much for listening if you got this far (laughs) i was kind of just rambling on about the weirdest things um it, it, I'm kind of in this state, like, of, like, you know, you're about to sleep, and you just kind of, like, think about the weirdest things. You just go on and on to the point where your brain is active and you can't even sleep anymore. It's, uh, actually, um, 8.45 on a Sunday evening, so I have school tomorrow. Um, well, anyway, it was kind of fun recording this episode. I hope you had fun listening to it, and thank you, um, and good night. <laughs> The mic is too close.